Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to another Curzon Film Podcast. In this episode, it's all lads, lads, lads as we talk about Aliche Rohrbacher's new farmland fable, and Jacques Odiard's Warped Western, The Sisters Brothers. I'm Jake Cunningham, and sat with me in this Sonic Spittoon Saloon are Ella the Kemp. Hello. Sam Wesley Howlett. Hi. And the Sundance Kelly Powell. Hello. A hearty, yee-hearty all. <laughs> it's lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much for sitting around and talking about some films with me. Uh, before we are allowed to horse around with the Sisters Brothers, we must, of course, work the field with Happy as Lattero. This is the story of an exploited farm hand. Uh, it won the Best Screenplay Award at Cannes last year. Ella, what is this film about? So this film, um, it is from Italian filmmaker Alice Rohrwacher. She weaves a magical realist fable of capitalism and the innocence of the working class. And this is her follow-up film to The Wonders. Um, This film follows Lazzaro, a young tobacco farmhand, as you said, who gets involved in a kidnapping plan and then a lot more strange proceedings altogether. Yes, uh, this is a quietly high concept film um, and I think that there's quite a pivotal plot point which we won't really dance around here because I think it is quite key Um, but perhaps if you do want to go into this one blind maybe skip forward to our Sisters Brothers chat but I think it is important to talk about uh, the plot of this film but I will start with the Best Screenplay Award that goes to people that are telling stories that are obviously new, different, unique uh, what is Rohrwacher doing here that would have earned that award? I think it's it's such a peculiar film and it's really, I know this term gets thrown around a lot, but it is like, it's just unlike anything I've seen before. And I think that award comes from the fact that it seems to start as something incredibly humble and small and quite simple, you know, people on a farm working too hard, not being paid enough, the kind of thing we've seen before. And then... Alicia Rohrwacker, she just, she toys with time. She just like flings ideas all over the place, but it never seems too overwhelming or confusing in a very loud and are you paying attention to the audience kind of way. Yeah, I mean, uh, the key thing being um, that there is a, there is a time jump in the film uh, that affects all of the characters bar Lazzaro. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where the film kind of, that's its big hinge. Yeah, absolutely. And 
I think the film, it just, it ambles along at such a nice leisurely pace that even without that time jump, because I think it comes in, it's, it comes in further than halfway through. And up until that point, I was already on board because I thought she's just, she's built such a beautiful, lovely world to exist in. that I thought this is just quite a nice story in itself. And then she does that and you think, you didn't need to go that far. And then she does. And it just, it literally, you know, moves into this whole new universe that we're invited into, you know, as the same people as we were an hour ago. And Lazaro is also there, except he's the same person as he was how many years? Like 15, 20 yeah, years yeah. before? Yeah, yeah. And I, I suppose it's a reflection of for us as an audience to feel like those characters that are mm. seeing him 15, 20 years later and he is unchanged. And we, we have that same feeling of uh, kind of confusion and fear yeah. uh, in a way as we try to gather what has actually happened in this plot. Because uh, she's not afraid to not signpost her audience. Uh, we are not given much information at all. Uh, and it's maybe five, ten minutes after the events some- of something that you have to piece together what actually mm. occurred. Um, but central to all of this is uh, Lazzaro himself, uh, Adriano Tardiolo. Uh, and Lazzaro's role in the film is to be fairly submissive, innocent. Uh, he's very much an exploited person. Uh, in the first half of the film, he's working on this tobacco farm, and he is kind of everyone's slave, really. Uh, he'll just do what everyone says. He never really asks why. He never asks for anything in return, and he seems quite content in doing it. And happy as that's right, Jake. It's, uh, oh, that's it. Oh, that's what it's doing. Ah, oh, finally. Ah, oh, so that's what the film's. Oh, gosh, that is clever. That is very clever. There you are. Yeah. I have the origin fact about that phrase. Oh yeah. If you want to know about it. Oh. So, the original title is Lazaro Felice, which you know you could see translates to "Happy as Lazaro," but the phrase "Happy as Larry" that you might know of comes from uh, it was a newspaper headline in the um, I think it was in 1890-ish. Um, there was a boxer who's, <laughs> I remember his first name, not his second name. His first name was Larry. Um, and this was before boxing was legalised in New Zealand. And he won this like enormous cash prize for a fight that he did. And then the newspaper the next day used the headline, Happy as Larry. And then it just stuck. And like, no one knows why. Wow. Okay, well, thank you for that. You're welcome. That's a, that's a great bit yeah. of history. Thanks, Ella. Um, back to the film. Sorry, yeah, yes. Yeah. But um, actually, so Adri- that phrase, yeah. I think, kind of works... In terms of thinking about the name of, of this film and the way that Alicia Rohrwacher builds her script in that that first newspaper headline and the reason that it's stuck over the centuries makes no sense. Like, there's there's no link back to that original thing. Mm. And yet now, like, the reason that Lazaro is so happy and giving and patient and kind and everything, it's just, like, not explained. Like, it's kind of, it could be magic. It could just be that he has a, you know, particularly patient soul or whatever. Like, I've seen the film twice now and I still don't know. But it's no less convincing. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's definitely kind of hammering home this exploitation of capitalism um, in both parts of the film. In one sense, uh, in this first half where they're working on the farm, uh, you have some kind of uh, maniacal, omnipotent um, leaders who kind of arrive in the farm and leave and cast their orders. And AKA the Queen of Cigarettes. Yes, the Queen of Cigarettes. And 
they're they're basically slaves. Mm. Like all of the people that work in the farm, and then Lad's Row is below them yeah. as well. And and then once we enter into this present day kind of world, we see those same people, and they've still been living on the fringes of society. They've still been alienated. They're having to live by the train tracks in what looks like an old uh, water container mm. or something. Um, and it's just showing how much society is not willing to integrate these people as well. Mm. Um, and Latsro tries his best to be part of both of these communities regardless of what situation they're mm. in. And in both eras, he is pushed away and attacked for that. Yeah, and it's within so much more than their jobs as well. And I think that's what's so skillful between the two worlds. Um, there's a bit in the first part where the Queen of Cigarettes say, says something like, you know, people only realise that they're slaves when they're set free or something. Mm. And that's so, I find that so interesting in terms of thinking how much deeper this film digs past, um, I mean, it's obviously a great criticism of capitalism, of exploitation, of you know, um, underpaid, overexploited labour and all of that. But then there is this psychological, mystical realm that reflects, like, Lazaro's just amazing personality mm. and generosity with the world that comes through in his relationship with the Queen of Cigarettes' son. The, the Marquis. The, yeah, Tancredi, who he forms this kind of friendship with. Mm. Um, and it's really beautiful. And I do, I would like to point to one review that I saw gave like a beautiful um, understanding of this um, from a queer perspective, which I hadn't considered much at all. Um, and that is the review on Little White Lies, um, which reads Happy as Lazaro as this magical understanding of kind of the ambiguities of like queerness and friendship. Um, and it just proves how much you can get out of this film, teasing out whichever strands you want with, you know, always more to discover yeah uh so definitely want to be checking out in uh in cinemas uh so now it's time to talk about a new take on the western the sisters brothers sam is this the real 10 gallon hat or just ranch dressing full 10 gallon yeah yeah full 10 okay gallon. all right um so to give you all a little bit of background uh this is directed by jacques odiard who you may know as the director of a prophet or Pan. Uh, Deep Pound, one of the earlier episodes of this very podcast. Was. I think. Yeah. Palm Door winning for Deep yeah. Pound. Uh, so he makes his first English language film uh, with a revisionist Western set in 1851. Uh, Eli and Charlie's sisters are brothers and assassins. They're played by John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix. And they're on the trail of a chemist played by Riz Ahmed, who has a formula that can highlight gold in rivers. And Jake Gyllenhaal's there as well as a detective on the case to find the chemist too. And this is an adaptation of a best-selling book by Patrick DeWitt. What's wrong with you? You know what happened last night? Yes. And? You remember that you hit me? I hit you? I hit you? Stop pretending and spare me the I don't remember routine. You hit me in public, Charlie. So as sure as you're looking at me right now, I'm leaving. No, wait, 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 wait. All right, what do you want? It's about slapping each other in public. That's right, so I slap you, you slap me back, Raven. So go ahead, hit me, hit me. Christ! What is your goddamn problem? 
fuck you, and whack you in the head with a shovel. <laughs> you do remember. Sam. Uh, this film starts with quite the roll call of different mm. funding bodies from yeah. across Europe and America. There's a this reverse credit reel that just keeps going and going of how many different people got involved it's in the a making good of good 20 this. minutes of the film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it makes me think this may have been a hard film to get made. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think, um, well, first of all, it's worth noting that uh, this is very much a big passion project for John C. Riley, And John C. Riley is someone who's had a really interesting start to his career in these sort of these weird Paul Thomas Anderson films and he was in Chicago and then and since then he's just been the comedy guy he's been the clown whether by accident or by his own uh, volition but I think he's kind of been pigeonholed into being the comedy guy for a while and even earlier this year he had the Sherlock Holmes and Watson film uh, which didn't work at all but again he's still kind of been forced to do these bawdy comedies and so that he bought the rights to this film a few years ago for the book and this has been something he's trying to get made, been trying to get made for a while and I think the reason you'd struggle to get this kind of film made these days is there's a kind of question, why do we need Westerns in 2019? What more can we do with the Western in 2019? When, as you say, the Coen brothers have kind of perfected the modern way of doing a Western. Um, so I guess that's why there's that struggle. And there's that many funding bodies is that you really need to convince these people that we can still do something interesting and relevant and fresh with the Western, which is perhaps the oldest film genre. And certainly if you look at every American film made between 1910 and 1960, the high majority are Westerns. Yeah. Kelly, was this was this fresh? Was this interesting for you? Yeah, definitely. Because there is there are correlations that you can draw between, you know, sort of this, this burgeoning idea of the American sort of West and what that means and what the gold rush meant and American expansion. Um, and it's definitely like the myth-making of the American sort of superpower as it is now is definitely mm. solidified in that kind of genre um but there are interesting correlations to make between what america is today um and looking at sort of how that's going back to the origins of where that started and interrogating that a little a little bit more i think there's so many interesting ways of looking at where we are now versus sort of where we came from where those myths were made why they're important to understand and break apart uh, and then sort of re-looking looking at it with hindsight uh, yeah for is, sure is important um and i think this film it manages to give us elements of what we want from a western um uh, and that's kind of the lure us in this is the what genre filmmaking can be a yeah. great tool for uh, is to give us elements of comfort uh, which then allows the film to give us these moments of creation and newness. Um, and it's really funny. I thought it was really <laughs> funny at times. Yeah, I mean, um, it's well, entertaining. It's super entertaining. I didn't. I, it's two hours long, um, and it's kind of. I did not feel it <laughs> at all. Well, I, and it, it uses its form, I think, to uh, to shift the key elements uh, that we might be used to seeing up close, front and center, mm. uh, to let us know. Those things are still happening, um, but that's not what this is about. So we've got those the the shootouts, the shootout yeah. that opens. Well, the, the opening, film. the opening of the film is very much a like a message of intent, I think, from Odiard, where you have this a blank screen and you see a couple of flashes of gunshots, but it's such a wide angle that they're just little blips, and this pretty massive shootout takes place. Like there's a lot of dead bodies at the end of it, but you don't really see any of the violence take place. You don't see any of the action. You just see the aftermath, and I think that that happens a lot in the film where 
there's a lot of scenes of extreme violence and sort of almost sadistic violence at times, especially what they do in um, Mayfield. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you never see it. I think the violence is really fragmented by the filmmaking, by the cinematography and by the editing because Odiard isn't interested in showing you violence. He's interested in what violence means afterwards. And and how it affects its, its main character. Yeah, and that's kind of similar to another Joaquin Phoenix film that we spoke about on the podcast, uh, You Were Never Really Here, where Lynn Ramsey, it's a film about violence that doesn't really show you that much violence up close. And when it does, it's really ugly and sinister and just gross and it doesn't make you, f- it's not exciting. Yes. It doesn't glorify it yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, and perhaps the most brutal moments uh, physically in the mm. film that uh, happen to the characters uh, are of their own creation yeah. Uh, yeah. and are executed in such a way that they they don't feel very cool at all. They're just quite sad yeah. um, and disgusting. But it, again, I mean, I think this ties in with the You Were Never Really Here as well because that character is extremely traumatized mm-hmm. um and he has a a past that he's carrying with him with yeah. him through the film um and it's similar to this film where, where charlie and eli have this really uh, traumatic past um that affects who they are now and how they in turn use violence to like navigate mm. themselves yeah, through we, the world. we get um very much hints of the past i think there, there's teasing of a romance uh, in john c Riley's character's past i think yeah uh, and there's there's links to their father and their relationship to him um and there's no, we're never given a flashback to any of this. Um, it's just uh, the idea of planting us within the reality of the moment. Um, yeah. There is um, a surrealistic element, though, that, oh, that's yeah. used. Like, uh, rather than flashbacks, this comes across in dreamlike sequences, mm. sort of. Yeah, and, and those moments are quite uh, quite lovely. Um, let's let's talk about the, the performances here, uh, because there are a lot of them. <laughs> We've got Joaquin Phoenix, Gordon C. Riley. we haven't spoken about... Um, Riz Ahmed and Jake Gyllenhaal, Ella, uh, was it nice to see the, the Nightcrawler pair back on screen? Oh, it was such a good feeling. Um, I, I wasn't as taken with this film as a whole. Like, I'm mostly enjoying everyone, you know, enjoying it so much. But, yeah, I think when you see on paper Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley, I thought this is going to be an amazing pair. And then, yeah, like the Nightcrawler boys, just bring it back. Yeah, and I was like, the, please, to, more. For me, they're Give the me real brothers. They're, right, they're, they're exactly. the guys that, uh, that I was coming back for. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, but that's the that's the true great supporting role, is that yeah. you feel their absence even mm. in those moments yeah, yeah, where yeah. they're not there. Yeah. Um, but I think those characters represent a nice kind of flip to what the Coens do in uh, No Country for Old Men, which mm. is a kind of modern Western, where No Country for Old Men is about how these old, lawless Western guys they don't have a place in this world anymore and you can't survive in this world being that kind of character. Whereas this is firmly rooted in the peak of the Wild West where these two guys were very modern ideals that want to create a utopia. They don't They don't need violence. Yeah. They, don't, so, they, yeah. they don't like firing guns. They just want to make a nice, pleasant world. And they, those are the characters that can't survive anymore in this mm-hmm. world. Yeah, because they are, they are panning for gold using this formula that Riz yeah. Ahmed's character has made. And the idea for them is not to go to San Francisco and become millionaires, but to get that gold and yeah. then go Create. to Dallas and build their own utopia. Yeah. 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 And there's this idea that even though the sisters' brothers are kind of a little bit bumbling and idiotic at times 
more so uh, well, Charlie than... Yeah, I yeah. think that they are uh, most sort of affected by other people's wishes yeah. and motivations. They, they kind of just have to do what they need to do to, to survive. But yeah. there's a feeling that there's always, these, there's always these kind of men in the world that's going to stop this utopia from happening. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting look at the Wild West where it wasn't this cool, lawless town. It was actually impossible to achieve anything of peacefulness. I, I have to say that I it's weird. I don't often call for a, a film to be a bit longer. Um, <laughs> but sometimes I felt like I wanted a, a bit more of this just to get a better scope of what the world felt like. Mm. Um, I know as we said that we didn't we don't get those those Western shootout moments or the romantic yeah. past or the father. Um, but because the world is so wonderful to stay yeah. in, it looks gorgeous. The people are brilliant. I think. For me, for it to be a more rewarding film, I could have gone for it to being more of an epic, mm. um, to have more sweeping landscapes, to right. have more just riding through the fields, um, but also t- just to have more of these these conversations. Because I think there's this 10-minute pocket where all four of them have yeah. decided what their plan is, and they're just sitting around the fire and chatting and I think that's lovely. And I could have gone yeah. for just a few few more bits of that, maybe. I think that kind of works in the film's favour, though, sometimes. Mm. Well, this is that kind of Western where it wasn't epic or sweeping. It was actually grim and horrible, and people are just bleeding all over the place and getting their hands cut off and getting bitten so by spiders. So Kelly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they like wake up in the night and there's bears attacked the horse. There's just it. It's not very. It's not fun for them. I don't think it should be. Although it is fun to watch at times, I think the point is that these guys aren't having as much fun as you'd normally see in a Western. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think that's what a lot of these kind of revisionist Westerns do. Yeah. And perhaps that might be yeah. something that audiences may struggle with, particularly when you're presented yeah. with these four names mm. and you're yeah. presented with the idea of them being cowboys, mm. uh, but it's what, f- what the film stands for mm. and what it's maybe being presented as are two different things. Yeah. But I think that that, I mean, it kind of talks to, to the, the themes of the film because... You know, those 10 minutes are idyllic, you know, they're, they're, but they're just as much a fantasy as everything they're sort of chasing, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, and I think that's the kind of bottom line is like, mm. yeah, we, we'd like these ideal societies to be created, but, the, and the society that we now live in as well is just based on fantasy and mm. it yeah. doesn't really exist in the way yeah. that we'd like it to. And we'll really only get it for 10 minutes if we get any. <laughs> yeah, <all>. exactly. <laughs> um, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, so that's the Sisters Brothers, the English language debut from Jacques Odiard. So we put a call out on Twitter uh, to get any other recommendations for the best first English language films um, from foreign language directors. So a few ones to call out uh, before we get into our own choices. Phil Concannon has recommended Fury, uh, the Fritz Lang film, which... I've not seen. Um, we've got John Souther's recommended Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility, which, when you think about it, is an insane one. Going in with your <laughs> yeah. first yeah. English language, the most film. English thing in the yeah. world. Yeah, um, but I think that's so true of Ang Lee. He, yeah, he is so unafraid of anything. But that's know? a nice comparison with Odiard, where Odiard's making a western, which is the most American thing in the yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, <laughs> the team at Creative Europe. <laughs> Hi, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, have, have said uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy yes. by Thomas Alfredson, which Again, is a really good choice. Super English thing, this, mm. the John Le Carre spy novel. Yeah. And mm. it's really nice to have this outsider eye on these kind of something that could be kind of stale and stuffy and because that's quite a stale and stuffy film. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he really get the, gets that really well. Yeah. Um, Tommy James said The Lobster, um, which uh, I think maybe is not yeah. as subversive in terms of changing the director's identity. No. Yeah. <laughs> that feels like, yeah, it just feels like maybe we're directing I mean, an English language. I don't really feel like that film was in English. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what would be some picks quickly from around the table, Kelly? Uh, I would say 21 Grams. Okay. In too. Yeah. Really good one. Yeah, Sam? Uh, so Snowpiercer for me, Bong Joon-ho, uh, who went from the host and then mother to Snowpiercer. And I think what's perfect about Snowpiercer for an English language debut is that he retains, completely retains his style without, he doesn't sacrifice anything. And even what he did with Okja, he he, he keeps his style all the way through and he, he keeps his national, his national identity. He has a lot of uh, South Korean actors that are actually major characters in these Hollywood films. Mm. Um, a pick from me would be Ari Folman's The Congress, which was the follow-up to Waltz of the Sheer, which mm. got a mention on this mm. show a few months ago, mm. uh, which is a really interesting film uh, starring Robin Wright as Robin Wright, who uh, scans in her entire likeness into a 3D model CGI oh machine God. and sells that to Hollywood so that she doesn't need to be an actress anymore and can just spend time with her son and then halfway through the film she descends into the animated world that everyone else has become addicted to mm. uh, a good one that sounds yeah. insane it's nuts it has a musical number at the end as well yes oh my god yeah uh, really really good must check that one out uh, Ella um, I would go for Jackie uh, Pablo Lorraine's um, English language debut also very American story yeah um, oh yeah but yes, I really love that. And just in terms of one future one to look forward to, Claire Denis' High Life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yep. different world altogether. Not, mm-hmm. um, not her world, not ours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, that's the Sisters Brothers and Happy as Lazaro, which are in cinemas this weekend. Uh, on Curzon Home Cinema, there's a few things that people can be checking out. Sam, our correspondent over there. There is plenty you can check out. So uh, last week's release, Eternity's Gate, is still available to watch. That's a really beautiful film. Uh, we've also so we mentioned revisionist westerns a few minutes ago and one of your favourites Jake Slow oh, West yeah. you can watch yes. Slow West on Cousin Home Cinema 2 Slow West is so so good uh, if people are enjoying Ben Mendelsohn in Captain Marvel mm. go back and see him doing classic Ben Mendelsohn yeah. but with a fun hat and Michael Fassbender yeah, yeah. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee yeah. remember him remember him <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will talk about this I think next week um, this is a film that's shot in a 4x3 ratio 
that isn't annoying. <laughs> oh, hey, now, come on now. Tune in next week for controversy <laughs> and arguments. Um, we've also uh, got the Agnes Varda collection, who sadly passed away last week. Uh, so we've put back our collection of some of her best films in there. So from uh, last release, Faces, Places, to our early releases like Le Bonheur, Vagabond, uh, Clear from 5 to 7. It's all available now. Yeah, so do go and check those out. A real education. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on the Sisters Brothers or Happy as Lazaro, then email podcast at curzon.com or tweet us uh, at Curzon Cinemas. If it is your first time listening to the show, then please subscribe. Uh, we'd love to have you with us every week. And if you are enjoying us, please review us. You can do that on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, wherever you get your pods. And when you do, uh, leave a review or a comment. That would be wonderful. And if you haven't had enough of us, you can keep up with us on social media. Uh, Sam, people can follow you on Twitter. Uh, Sam Hallett underscore one. Ella. E-F-E Kemp. And Kelly. K-S underscore Powell. And I am at Jake H. Cunningham. And thank you so much for listening. Farewell. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.